message tonight is parental help in marriage, what I call facilitation, facilitation. Father, we do ask that you will speak to us, all that are gathered here midweek, Lord, whoever you bring to here online, we thank you for them, Father. Wherever they're at, help them, teach us all, revive us, Lord, to your principles in love. Jesus' name, amen. Let me tell you how the idea for this message arose. I think it'll be a brief one. I think that. Hopefully it'll leave a lot of time to discuss, hear from you with some testimonies or thoughts. And uh, I won't have to bore you with my illustrations. And, um, last week... We did a message on the responsibility of siblings to each other. When we studied Bible verses in relation to that subject, we saw there was a large role of siblings in regard to pre-marriage preparation. And we've seen that before, but it, it, it jumped off the page, so to speak. The purpose of my message, the responsibility of siblings to each other, was to inspire young people towards your biological siblings, but even towards your spiritual siblings, to not just let them go off a cliff without you taking responsibility for them to some degree. Get out of your comfort zone. We all need it. And it might be one of your loved ones next that needs it. But as I said, we saw that it wasn't just a responsibility in regard to other spiritual areas of life, but there was this responsibility uh, of brothers and sisters in regard to each other, especially concerning younger siblings, but not limited to just younger siblings, and uh, the example is in Song of Solomon 8. We have a little sister. She hath no breast. She's young. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken for? If she be a wall, we will build upon her a palace of silver. If she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. What this is saying is, as commentators all through history have said, if she's steadfast in her chastity and virtue, we're going to honor her. We're going to reward her so she'll keep on being pure and holy and godly. If she be a door, which is light-minded and loose, we're going to guard her. We're going to hinder her in every way we can from going down this road of worldliness. But I began to think if it's proper for siblings to be alert and involved and to help, not only in regard to general godliness, but in regard to preparation for marriage, what then of parents? Don't they have an even larger role to play? Obviously. And we see this in the very chapter here that we're dealing with. It says in Song of Solomon 8, the wife is talking and she says, Oh, that thou wert as my brother. When I should find thee without, 
I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house, who would instruct me. I would cause thee to drink of the spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. In our previous marriage series that went on for a while, I realized I was mainly dealing with an overreaction or overcorrection in some conservative circles to the worldly dating practices, which usually produce fornication, endless partners, and finally just hardened hearts. And the overcorrection resulted in a misunderstanding of biblical betrothal. This misunderstanding includes now today arranged marriages and little to no consent of the couple. So I spent weeks correcting this from the Bible and history. I showed that biblical betrothal was legal marriage just before the taking home to the house. But you're, you're legally married. Just as today when the preacher says, I pronounce you man and wife. There's been no taking yet, per se, but they're married when they leave the church. I showed how consent and even attraction played a large part in the Bible as well as in ancient Jewish custom and earlier Baptist Protestant history. They considered that very important. Uh, that should not be the only thing. We, we need to think spiritually, and, and that's why parents come in to help moderate that, and to help you think more spiritually about things when you make a decision. We have a mess that's been created today. See, you can try to fix something that's broken and end up with something even worse. So in my discussions with brethren, lots of times it's, it's, it's brethren uh, that are dealing with this broken system. In conservative circles, it's not dating, but, but they're just talking about the horror stories that they've been through. But as we corrected this, perhaps we didn't stress enough the positive role of parental involvement. Before, as well as during marriage. So in all things, our goal is a biblical balance, to be decent and in order. So, on one side, we have parents and even siblings today destroying marriages of their loved ones by meddling. M many are saying, you know what, if you just stay out of your children's marriage, they'll be able to stay together. A lot of times it's relatives, siblings, fathers, mothers that come in. And I've seen this with my own eyes. I've heard stories. I'm telling you, you would not believe. It, 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 it's so rampant that even liberal leftist media are like, you know what, relatives? Why don't you quit destroying your children's marriages and, and your siblings' marriages? Just shut your mouth and, and mind your business, you know. So that's one side of things. The Bible speaks about being a busybody. But on the other side, there is this total hands-off, live-and-let-live, lazy spirit that's no help at all. And both of these extremes create problems in pre-marriage as well as during marriage. So the goal tonight is supposed to be a shorter message, and then we can have our informal time together and hopefully get some feedback, and uh, that's what I'm aiming at anyway. 
So let's look closely at this again. Oh, that thou wert as my brother, when I should find thee without, I would lead thee, bring thee into my mother's house, who would instruct me. She's going to lead little brother home. That's what it's saying. Praise God for sisters and brothers that show little brother how to get back home. She's taking responsibility for little brother. Now, little brother can get lost physically or he can get lost spiritually. You're getting the point here, right? God didn't just put this in the Bible so you can find little brother outside and lead him back home. Hopefully, you got enough sense to do that. But the same people that would lead little brother back home before he gets run over by a car will let little brother go to hell on the internet and everywhere else. Bad friends. Bad associations. No direction, no help, no reproof, no correction, no guidance. So she says, once I get him home, I'm going to follow my godly mother's advice who's going to instruct me how to further take care of him. She's going to give him godly refreshment. And all of this speaks also of the spiritual. But what, what we see here is that if you have a godly mother as the authority over the oldest daughter, she's going to have the best information on how they can all work together as a team to save little brother and help him. Likewise, the mother should be on the same team as the father, who's the head of the house. You've got this divided house that can't stand today. You, you, you can't have a father trying to build up godly children and a mother coming around and trying to just tear it all down. You can't have mother and father working to train little brother to be godly and then you got big sister just thinking she's smart and going and messing up everything. So we all got to be on the same team. That's the ideal at least. There's a lot of confusion today where this doesn't happen, either through sin or whatever. So we have a double picture here that you need to remember. Big sister longs for the mother's instruction on how to best care for her brother, but in the second picture, which is the main point, she's longing for her godly mother to instruct her on the best way to please her husband now that she's married. You don't have that anymore. You don't have godly mothers that, that, that care to give you good advice on how to be a good wife towards your husband. And my point today, this ought to be pre-marriage in choosing a mate, and it ought to be in the marriage. And not just mother, obviously. Everybody ought to work toward this goal. Father, mother, siblings... As Clark in the 19th century said, she would teach me how to conduct myself toward thee as she would how to nurse a young child. Gill, Baptist writer, early century, says a grave and prudent woman who taking her newly married daughter apart teaches her how to behave toward her husband that she may have his affections and live happily with him. Isn't that exactly what Paul tells us? When somebody's married, they need guidance from older or more experienced people in the Lord. And not everybody that got saved in those early churches or even today had godly mothers. 
to teach them anything. Many of them grew up in, God, in pagan families and Jewish families that didn't know the Lord. So for whatever reason, in the church we need spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers willing to help. But you need to do it in a way that operates as a godly team. You have a pastor who's the appointed watchman. We have a chief shepherd who we are all to be submitted to. We have an inspired word of God. And we all need to be on the same team in the church as godly fathers, godly mothers, godly siblings of each other, nurturing, instructing. Paul said, And Titus, that the aged women likewise, that they may be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, but that they, in, in their very diet and way they eat, they ought to be examples. I don't even think that's alcohol. Teachers of good things, there it is, that they may teach the young women, those are young adult women that are married, to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. But we saw in Song of Solomon that the older siblings don't just help after there's marriage. It showed them helping guide little sister even get in the way and hinder her if she's going off course before she's married, pre-marriage. If siblings are involved in pre-marriage preparation and instruction, then how much more should parents be? And in one sense, all the spiritual godly experience older members of the church as we exhort and admonish one another and strive to live as examples. But what we see today is the opposite of what Paul said here is going on. You've got siblings, you've got mothers. If they ever even get involved and try to help, they give the opposite of everything Paul said here. They're not living holy. They're full of false accusation. They don't take care of themselves. They're not teachers of good things. They don't teach the young women to be sober. They don't teach them to love their husbands or love their children. They don't teach them to be discreet or chaste or keepers at home or good or obedient to their own husbands. Certainly not. And I'm telling you, the pre-marriage council is just as bad as the marriage council. That's why we're just in such a mess today. So... As to pre-marriage, parents could and should suggest, advise, but not compel within reason. A godly choice of a mate. They should communicate about these things. In preparation when younger, so when the daughter or son gets older or is starting to get closer to that time when they could be married, they're already spiritually prepared for what to look for. And then you can get into the more specifics. They should support. They should help. They should, what I call, facilitate. But not arrange in an overbearing sense. You see our Lord walking this line in regard to discipleship. Oh, he gave them what they needed to know. 
But you have to make the choice whether or not you're going to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. We use a similar balance when we call people to church relocation and membership. I want to give you all the right reasons why you ought to be here, why you ought to be here in this church, why you ought to relocate to a a, a better area, but I'm not going to pressure anybody. Because when things get tough, you know what they do. They start blaming Moses out in the wilderness. You understand that? How much more would marriage? You don't want anybody saying to you later, certainly not as a parent, I'm in this because of you. I didn't really want to marry him or her, but I felt pressured by my parents. So this is why our forefathers believe that there can be advising, even facilitating with communication. Premarriage can be a very confusing time period. Remember Abraham, he somewhat arranged a marriage, did he not? But he didn't pick the specific person. They left a lot to God. In some ways, he just facilitated it and prayed. That was a unique situation, but take a look later at Isaac and Rebekah. They also didn't arrange, but they facilitated. They chose what soil. They basically reasoned if Jacob stays here, he's going to end up marrying a Canaanite woman. See, you bloom wherever you're planted. You remember that. Lot and his wife thought Sodom was very nice. And before you know it, they're inside Sodom, sitting in the gate of Sodom. And before you know it, well, guess what? Who would be surprised? Some of their daughters had married Sodomites. Bad people in Sodom, that is. Then we see Naomi. She facilitates. There's law. There's custom. Boaz is much older. How is all that going to come together? Then you see Ruth. Three, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? She's saying, I'm going to help facilitate this thing. And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Has he not been a help to our family, etc., etc.? The idea that Ruth was without any choice or consent in this matter is wrong. And that's seen in the very words of Boaz. For when Naomi told her what to do to bring this situation together, facilitate, Boaz said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter. For thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. Obviously, Boaz said, I'm surprised you would even be willing to go along with this because you could at any time marry somebody younger. Don't you tell me that Ruth could not have said, you know what, I'm going where my sister went. I'm going back to Moab, a picture of the world. And uh, forget Jewish custom, Jewish religion, forget the Israeli God. I'm going back to my homeland. You're telling me Ruth couldn't have done that anytime she wanted? No, she had a choice in the matter. Population reports now indicate that the age of young adults are marrying for the first time around 30 years old. People are starting to react to this. Actually, for the past decade, they're trying to fix it. 
in some ways, they're overreaching. But in many different cultures, they're starting to say, you know what? This is a, a sewer. It's a swampland. We, we got to fix it. Parents and grandmothers have to become more involved. You have a popular Korean matchmaking website where it was designed to cater to the parents first and children second. Very popular. 80% of the members on the site are mothers trying to help their sons choose a mate. There's a Jewish example of this where fathers and mothers and even grandmothers are the majority online trying to facilitate a marriage of their children. And, and, and they don't, in many of these cases, they're not dominating, they're giving suggestions. And they interviewed some of the young men, and, and they're like, you know what, I'm surprised at how good their choices are. They thought of things that I didn't think of. Chow Sedan says, most do not carefully supervise whom their children date. A nasty and destructive practice that the church has adopted almost without a whimper. And they routinely allow young boys and girls to spend considerable amounts of time together alone, away from chaperones. When it comes to selecting a life's partner, Christian parents are usually even more confused, often just as negligent. Most refuse to advise against possible mates of whom they disapprove since they fear losing whatever little influence they still have left with their children. I went back to the 19th century. There's a book, North Carolina Planners and Their Children. I'm not saying that, this, that, that, that wealthy landowners in North Carolina in the 19th century are our perfect example, but it does go back to a different culture than we have today. And I thought it would be interesting. It says, wealthy North Carolinians saw marriage as the most important relationship and firmly approved of companionate marriage as our Protestant forefathers and Baptists. Spouses should be loving partners, not two people unwillingly chained together for life. In fact, they reach this ideal oftentimes. You find the letters to one another in the 19th century. Uh, they had to make sure that they had protections and guarding against idolatry of the spouse. There was so much love and affection. But on the other side, today you have this hands-off approach. It's hurting everybody. Parents not talking together with anybody in the family. I watched this thing from the 1970s about what life was like in the 1970s, and they said one thing is, is uh, you had everybody sitting down at the dinner table together talking, you know. There, there was communication more so than you see today. People don't sit down with meals together. They have no conversations together. They don't go deep with one another. Everybody's on their little gadget, and that's life. It's like strangers living in the same house. And the devil will try to make it like that. You have to rebuke it. You've got to fight against it. You've got to say, no, this is how we're going to do this. And we're going to rebuke all of these distractions and all these interruptions. And we're going to have time to talk and communicate. Cell phones, screen culture. You go back to the radio culture of the early 20th century and they were worried about what in the world is happening to the family. Then it exploded into the TV culture. But now it is out of control. You have teenagers and young people, uh, rampant disrespect for authority, lackadaisical, let whatever happen. I'm just asking you now as I close, is there anything we can learn from Naomi's words? 
We're not in that culture per se. We're not bound by some of those customary laws. But is there nothing we can learn? And then along with that, why do you feel that everything just needs to be entirely left to chance? And that's somehow more godly and providential. Why didn't Abraham and Isaac and Rebekah, why didn't they say, well, let's just leave it to chance. God will give them a mate. That's why I'm talking about facilitation. Why would you think facilitation is any less of God? What does facilitate mean? It means just to make things work better, uh, less difficult, to bring things together or people together in an easier way. I get phone calls all the time. I, I, I talk to young men, I, I talk, and they're talking about how hard it is to connect. What do I do? A lot of times I have to say, I don't know. But I'm going to tell you, do, do your best to be friendly and, and then uh, try to get the parents involved. Talk to the parents. One observer many years ago said that an age that invented the loudspeaker is the very age that has nothing to say anymore. Isn't that ironic? I would add to that, and I would say that in an age of social media and interconnectedness like never before in the history of mankind, it's ironic that we are the most disconnected, lonely, isolated age. So there's a need for help like never before. The Hill just today says most young men are single. We're in a crisis of connection. Even a worldly psychologist said, Niobe Way, a psychology professor, disconnection from ourselves and disconnection from each other is getting worse. Families are disconnected. Everybody's just disconnected from one another. Everybody's in their own little private screen world. They're depressed. They're anxious. They're insecure. They don't know how to talk to each other. And one of the problems is they're You've got so many people addicted to pornography. The guilt they're carrying around, that little world of isolation that's isolating them from anybody around them, that sick, disgusting world. But it's also one-fifth of Generation Z now identifies as queer. They have great fear. Young people are saying, what will marriage bring? Young men are saying, wait a second, I, I, I don't want to get married. What if I end up in court? She takes my kids away. What if I get falsely accused of something? What if she's cold in the marriage and not affectionate? I mean, there's just massive, massive insecurity going on. There needs to be help. We need to help each other. Siblings need to help. Parents need to help. And you got to learn. You say, well, how do I get involved without being meddling? And, and how do you, you know what? You got to learn. That's how you got to deal with everybody. You got to know when to get out of their business and when to help them and get involved. It's like that with all of life, it's like that in regard to marriage, too. Dear Father, I do pray that you help us help one another 
that you help parents take responsibility and get involved, Father, while walking that line of balance, God. In regard to communication, help parents and children and young people and young adults, help them talk with one another and talk out the deeper things of life. In this very lonely, distracted, perverted world of sin and destruction. In Jesus' name, amen.